Uh, I did a wedding yesterday at Halama Beach. Really, no response. No, no, no. Have you ever, anybody been to Halama? Anybody feel what the weather was like yesterday? They're redoing the parking lot. It's close. We did it on this bluff overlooking the beach. And most of the people who were there are from back east. And they're like, oh, it's so beautiful here. You're like, your you're like, face is, it's like all your clothes are like. And I'm like, really? So I'm like on the edge. I'm like, they're like here and I'm here. And, and it's like, I swear I'm going to go over that. I'm like grabbing them, taking them with me or something. It's, it's so scary. But it really made me think because, I, I, well, okay, so I'm doing this. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, do you take, and my tie goes, Sticking back in, and because if if you're dressing really nice at a wedding, I will wear a suit. If you're like wearing flip flops and shorts, I don't feel like I need to wear a suit. But they were dressed really nice. He's in his dress blues, and so I was wearing a suit anyway. Um, but but I, it really made me think about about how beautiful the area we live in. Because there's like this is amazing. And I went home and I was talking to my wife about it, and she goes, "Oh, so did you really notice what it looked like on the way home?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> so, but we do. We live in a beautiful place, so you guys should enjoy it more. And I should enjoy it more, too. But uh, anybody doing this thing next weekend called Run or Die? Any? Yeah? Yeah? You on the Element team? Did you sign up with us? <gasps> so Run or Die, it's this 5K color run. It's in San Luis Obispo. I'm not, you know, plugging it or, you know, promoting it to you or anything. But it's this thing where you, where you run, and throughout the 5K, they throw packets of dye at you. And so you get your clothes all dyed and everything. It's kind of cool. So we made this little element team. We all, you know, and so there's like, like 15 of us going and doing this thing. And if you want to come, you can sign up. I think it's online somewhere you can sign up for it. But I, I got to tell you, I don't know how it's going to go because I hate running. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't go, I don't go like backpacking because it involves my two least favorite activities, which is walking and camping. And so now I'm going to go around. But as long as afterwards, you know, I'll go down to like Slow Burr or something. We'll hang out afterwards, have like a burger. Sweet, daddy. <laughs> Because you know when you, when you run a 5K, you have all the license in the world to eat all the garbage the rest of the day you want. <laughs> At least that's what I tell myself. Anyway, uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you've never owned one, you should grab one and take it home because, hey, they're free and they got our logo on them. So there you go. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. And we invite you to grab one of those if you don't have one because they will have sermon notes inside, questions on the back. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. And in YouVersion, you click on Live. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, and all that goes along with today's message. Why don't you stand with me, you're reading God's Word, and we will get started here. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand what it means to live in the grace of your kingdom. And that no matter what comes our way, we could be people who understand that we are your children first and foremost. No one can take your kingdom from us. And we would live in the joy in the midst of of that. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so this is Sermon on the Mount, week 13. Week 13. We are going to actually finish the Beatitudes today. Yay. Yay. I'm going to... 
Don't be sad. I still got, we still, it's 47 weeks long total, people, okay? So you're not going to miss it that much. This is the whole setup for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to see how the Beatitudes come full circle to set up the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, it is, it's very Hebrew in the way it tells you its stories. Many scholars today think that Matthew may have actually been written in Hebrew and that had been translated into Greek because there's so many phrases that would only be understood in Hebrew with the idioms that he uses. And Hebrew storytelling is much different than our storytelling that we have today. And if I had time, I'd tell you a story, but I don't. Uh, suffice it to say, if you go read like the prodigal son, he starts with the father, talks about the brothers, and ends with the father. That is Hebrew storytelling because it goes beginning, middle, beginning. It's all about restoration. It's all about redemption. If you ever saw the movie The Matrix, you didn't understand it, or you hated it, that's because it was Hebrew storytelling. The Matrix essentially went beginning, middle, beginning. And I don't know if they intended it like that, but I think it was personally brilliant. And the scriptures do this as well. What you see in the book of Genesis is that God makes man, and he tells him, I'm going to place you in this garden. You're going to take responsibility and stewardship for the things around you. These are the words radah and kabosh that are used in Hebrew. And so God places this man in the garden to partner with him. Not that God needs man's help, but God loves working with his kids. And so he puts his kids in there to work with him to create things in this garden and make a God-honoring culture. Now open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. It's like last one in the Bible. You can't miss it unless you've got a big, long concordance in the back. It's like, what's all these words? Just go back to the last book of the Bible. You're going to be right there. It's easy to find. And in the scriptures, you have this book. It is called Revelation. Some people call it the book of endings. I think it is also just the book of beginnings like Genesis. And what you are told in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, is this is what it says. It says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, that word reign there is the word baseluo. Everybody say baseluo. You're all scholars. Amazing. Okay. Now, this means to exercise influence or to participate with. And it's really kind of interesting because there's a river and trees and fruit, healing of nations, proper relationships between people and people and people and God. And they will participate with God forever and ever, working with God, stewarding, participating in guiding creation. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Genesis 1 and 2. This is what God intended from the beginning. This is the idea of redemption, of restoration. The story starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation. If you take all sin out of the Bible with scissors or whatever, you would have four chapters. Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Genesis 1 and 2 is about a garden. Revelation 21 and 22 is about a city. And really what is a city but a gathering of a large number of gardens because if, peop- if a garden is properly cared for, more people participate and you have a city. Just think like Lord of the Rings and the elves and the trees, the garden city kind of or not whatever you know that's kind of that idea in there and so the story ends where it begins and that's what's important for hebrew storytelling this is what the beatitudes actually do as well they end where they begin and i'm going to go through that with you today so we understand if this is your first week at element you're going to have a launching off point for the rest of the sermon on the mount because this is kind of how it comes together and so far we've covered everything but uh chapter 5 11 and 12 in the beatitudes so if your bible open to matthew chapter 5 and you can stay there because we'll keep coming back to matthew 5 today Matthew 5, verse 11, and this is where Jesus starts at the end of all of those Beatitudes. He says, And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Uh, Now, this is kind of dealt with throughout the rest of the Beatitudes as well. But I'll tell you, you live in Santa Maria. You're right on the cusp of progressive culture. 
good. I, I was making sure people were going to get that sarcasm. Uh, for, for us, we can read stories from around the world and, and see these things, and we know about persecution that goes on somewhere in some place, but we don't really see it in our reality. Sometimes, you know, we get very self-centered and we think we're persecuted, but we're really not that persecuted. And so when you really take a step back and you look out, you think, well, persecution is for all those other people. Isn't it really nice that Jesus gave them a beatitude too? At least they get a little blessing in the midst of it. Now today, you can go to the ICC, which is the International Christian Concern. You can go to persecution.org, and they actually will detail you a lot of news stories you don't read in the world today. Like in Pakistan right now, there are fire, fire bombers who have been going around and firebombing Christians. Now, the, there's a whole uproar about it, and so they arrest these guys, but as soon as the uproar died down, they let them go, because it's not really a big deal. In Indonesia, there are forced church closures of Christian churches. In North Korea, uh, pastors are being arrested and sent out for re-education. Uh, if you are in Nepal, and you are a Christian, and you die in Nepal, they are not even let you be buried in Nepal. Uh, in Iran, if you are a... A Muslim, you cannot actually become a Christian. If you're a Christian, you become a Muslim. You can never go back because they identify you by your religion. And so, in a sense, it is illegal to actually be a Christian in Iran. In Kazakhstan, uh, there is a story right now. There's two grandmothers that are actually being fined for attending a Christian church service. Grandmas. Who finds a grandma? Doesn't everybody just love grandmas? Not Kazakhstan, apparently. Uh, in Egypt, there's violence against Christians right now that the government still refuses to stop. In Vietnam, Christians are targeted because they have an anti-government stance. And what is the anti-government stance? They love Jesus. They love Jesus and not communism. So we're going to target those people. And then from China, our favorite, uh, by the way, uh, this story starts all the way back in 2010. This is a young man. His name is Chen Li. Uh, he's a second-year student. And in our vernacular, that means he's like a junior in high school. And this is the story. Chen Li was found by the public security agency and other related agencies to have engaged in Christian gatherings. Uh-oh. His school was notified that, he should edu- that they should educate the student and persuade him to mend his ways. However, efforts from the class advisor and some leaders from the school in educating him have all failed, and the student persists in his belief that he should not renounce his Christian belief. So what do they do? They expel him from school. And this is now a lawsuit that's taking place because when you get expelled from school, you can't take the college entrance exams. And so this affects the rest of his education for the rest of his life. Now, in America, you hear things like, just follow Jesus. He makes your life better. He's like a miracle girl. You sprinkle it on. Everything gets better. Isn't Jesus just wonderful? Well, Jesus does make our lives better, but it doesn't mean it always goes the way that we think. And sometimes persecution is real. And most of the time when we come to the scriptures and we read, blessed are the persecuted, we start to think about those other people over there, the courageous ones in other countries, the heroic ones, the brave ones. And I talked to you about this three weeks ago, about what that all looked like. But if that's all you see it as, and you think these are different blessings through the Beatitudes or different type of people, you will look and think, well, that blessing goes to those persecuted people, and that blessing isn't really for me. And maybe if I got it together a little more, I'd be persecuted more, and I would get that blessing too. It's kind of like a ladder that you have to climb, and the farther up you get, the more blessed you'll get. Well, God's blessing those people, you know, the ones who never gave up their faith, and the, and the Chinese high school students, and the people who take a stand. It's kind of become to the Beatitudes, and we look at it like it is a ladder, and we, said, we say, you know, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, okay, how do I become poor in spirit? Okay, well, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, I'm really going to mourn so I can really be, be blessed. Oh, blessed are the meek. Oh, I'm real. This is a really rickety ladder, by the way. <laughs> OSHA would not approve. Okay, I'm going to go back in. <laughs> I'm not going to get that blessing. 
I'm not going to get there. What's going on with that? And that's what we think. The higher we get, and then when you get to that persecuted, oh, if I just was really persecuted, well then, man, I would just really, really be blessed. See, you cannot think and feel like God's only there to bless the super Christians, the ones who's got so much together, because you get discouraged. And you start to think, you know, well, I'm not doing enough. Because the truth is, you're not doing enough. None of us are, are doing enough. None of us have it together. John 19.30, on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. It is paid in full. He did enough. He's the only one that did enough. And he gives us that did enough by his grace. And so the Beatitudes are not an announcement of do more. They are pronouncements of blessing and a call to something greater in our lives. And yes, in a sense, if you are persecuted, God is with you. Great is your reward. But if you read that and just think it's about someone else in some other place, you miss the point of the blessing and what the Beatitudes are all about. You're thinking that Jesus is talking to everyone but you. And if you would just do greater and greater things for God, well, then God would be with you more. That is law. That is list. That is a ladder. Edward Schweitzer says this, This passage extols not the strong who, to the admiration of all, heroically defend their faith, but those who are defamed and go down to ignominious defeat. You like that word, ignominious? It's a good word, right? I'm going to write that down. Use it all the time. This is ignominious. It's a great word. This passage, in a sense, comes down to whenever you follow Jesus and it begins to cost you something. Maybe you're in school and you're in philosophy class because that's, and you say, well, I don't agree with that. I'm a Christian. And you just get poked at and made fun of the entire time. Maybe you're at a job and you refuse to lie in order to increase your sales or something like that. And so you get demoted or you don't get a promotion or you get fired altogether. It can be those kind of things. Whenever you, maybe even where you donate time and, or resources and you're not even noticed for it because you're doing it for Jesus. You're not doing it to be noticed, but something just happens and nothing ever comes back your way. Well, that's all okay. It's not to belabor the point here, but there's a course in the Beatitudes. They're not ladder. They're not law. It's not even about those who simply get it. It's even in our unworthiness. God is there and God is offering blessing. It starts like this. Poor in spirit. God meets us in our moral depravity, in our moral poverty, when we don't have it all together. And he says, the kingdom of God is open to you. Those who mourn, we mourn over our sin and where we have been and what God had to do to actually save us. We see where we have blown it and that God meets us there. And it starts talking about the meek. We become humble because we realize we can't get it together. We are lost and it is God is the one who has come to save us. And so we humbly receive God's grace. You begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness that God lays upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ. God delivers us to His rightness. He gives His rightness to us. And when we understand this, we start to move in the world in a whole different way. We become merciful. We are a merciful people. We have compassion on people who are in the same streets that we are, or the same streets that we used, streets we used to be in. We become pure in heart, meaning we hopefully become less judgmental and less cynical because we see how God has met us. And so we see other people as God sees them. We become less hypocritical. We see the world as God sees it. So we become peacemakers. And now we begin to love everybody out there, not just everybody in here who's just like us. We seek to display the goodness and the grace of God, that God has made peace with us. We cease trying to tell people how stupid they are and stop trying to win all these arguments and simply begin to lift up Jesus with our lives. And that, in turn, leads to persecution because when you live as a peacemaker, people many times will hate you for it because people don't want to hear Jesus' perspective on things. All they want to hear is their own. This is why we are all rebels. We're always rebelling against what God calls us to. And yet Jesus is the one who calls things what they are. And peacemaking lead to persecution because it threatens the way that the world works. And I've got to be clear about peacemaking, too. Some people think peacemaking is just never making waves. 
I don't know if you know people like that, or you might be that kind of person. No matter what happens, it's like, oh, don't make waves, don't cause a fuss, I don't want to fight. That's not what I'm talking about at all, because peacemakers are like Jesus. Jesus says that they're like children of God. Did Jesus make peace by never making waves? No. How did he die? On a cross. Okay, so he made some pretty big waves. They wanted to murder him. Okay, so he made some waves. Jesus came and made peace. They're usually confronting people in the places where they are, but doing it in a way of gentleness and respect. Real peace always makes waves. Peacemaking makes waves. And the only way that we have peace with God is we admit that we have been hostile to God. We have rebelled against him and who he has called us to be. And so we come and we understand that we've been hostile to him and God has made peace with us. And so peacemaking is about announcing the good news of the gospel. Peacemaking is letting everybody know that God wants to make peace with them. Peacemaking is coming and saying, you're at war with God. You've got to make peace with him because he's made peace with you. This is what we call evangelism. And it's really simple. I mean, sometimes peacemaking is very explicit. Sometimes it can just mean you telling your story. This is how I was at war with God. This is how God came and made peace with me. Other times you're listening, you're prodding, you're asking questions, but you're always being gentle in the midst of it because the most important thing to keep in mind about peacemaking is as a peacemaker, you have a completely different mindset of the world around you. Instead of looking at people and relationships and saying, do I like this person? Does this person like me? What does this person think of me? Do I want to spend time with them? Is this person worth my trouble? Are they at my level? Are they as smart as I am or as reasoned as I am? That is all relationship based on performance. When you are at peace with God and you're a peacemaker, you look at people around you and you no longer say, do I like them or do they like me? You say, what is God doing in this person's life? And how can I be a part of that? How can I help that to grow? God's making peace with this person. How can I encourage that? It's a completely different direction. And this is a direction that we call redemption. That God is making peace. That's peacemaking. And if you're working at peacemaking, it means you always got someone you're praying about. you got someone you're reaching out to and saying, how in the world can I encourage what God is doing in this person's life? See, the Beatitudes come true for, in some fashion for all people who believe in Jesus. It's not that some mourn and some people don't, or that some are meek and others aren't. We all are. Or that some are you know, poor in spirit and, and others aren't. We all are. We all are. And this comes down to the idea of persecution. In one sense, in some type of place in your life, somewhere you will be persecuted if you follow Jesus. Now, it may be in different ways. I mean, you may not be expelled from school. You may get a lower grade if you question your teacher or something like that. Uh, you're probably not going to get beaten or crucified yet. You know, but 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that can be frightening because that's kind of a good test for us in that. And you have to understand the Bible does not say everybody who is persecuted is necessarily living a godly life because you can be persecuted for being obnoxious, and you should be, by the way. You can be persecuted for being fanatical. You can be persecuted for being really unpleasant. I mean, a lot of people who are persecuted because they're fanatical or obnoxious or unpleasant who happen to be Christians, they think, oh, I'm being persecuted for my righteousness' sake. No, you're being persecuted because you're an idiot, okay? But Jesus still died for you, and he still loves you. In Acts chapter 2, it says the early church found favor with all the people, and they were still persecuted. So it's Jesus who is our model in this. In all things, he's our model. And the more God's glory is shining out of your life, the more you will both attract and repel people. It's just how it is. And if nobody's reacting either way to your life, there's probably not much of Christ showing forth in your life. If nobody's being attracted in because of your unusual love and grace, or nobody's being repelled because of your holiness and your commitment to Christ, there's probably not much going on in there. I love what Timothy Keller says. He wrote this, If you're always persecuted, you're probably an obnoxious person, but if you're never being persecuted, you're probably a coward. Ouch, right? Ouch. 
And so this goes back to the idea of the blessings and understanding the Beatitudes and what Jesus calls us in our lives. Matthew 5, 3, hopefully you're still there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. Those words are interchangeable. Chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or again, the kingdom of God. This comes full circle, full circle. This is the only promise that's repeated, the kingdom of God. Now, is that because Jesus ran out of clever little tags? He's got to reuse and recycle. It's like, oh, they're ADD. When I get to number 8, I can say kingdom of God again. They won't remember that one. Ha, ha, ha. No. Because it's a Hebrew blessing. It's not a straight line. It's a loop. So let me show you what this looks like. So Jesus starts off and says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you are powerless. Blessed are you when you realize, I don't have anything to offer God. Exactly. Exactly. God comes to us in that state, and he offers us the kingdom of God. This goes into mourning. We begin to mourn over our sin and all the stuff we've done to God, and God comforts us because he has given us the kingdom of God. This goes into meek, or the word humble, and that we have an inheritance. We receive by grace what God has done. goes back to the kingdom of God. And then we begin to hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, after what he has laid upon us, his rightness God has given to us, and we become satisfied because we are people who get to live in the kingdom kingdom of God. And so in the middle of this, God meets us there. Then we move in the world in a totally different way. We become merciful because we have first received mercy from God. We then become this merciful people. We become pure in heart that God met us in a place and he has changed us. And we begin to see the rest of the world the way that God sees it. We get to see him and all the world around us. So we become peacemakers. We get to live as children of God, which means God has given us a mission. He doesn't just leave us there. Thanks for doing, you know, signing the form. See you in a few years when you die. That's not what happens. We have a mission in our lives. And living as a mission, as a peacemaker, many times will lead to persecution. And he goes back and he says, the kingdom of God is available to you. This is Jesus' way of saying, when you follow me, when you become my disciple, when you're met in your failure and agony, and when you live the gospel and extend grace, it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard. You're going to always end up back in the place where you begin to realize you have to rely on me for everything. Because there are moments when you follow Jesus and things get hard, you will begin to ask, is this even worth it? And Jesus always says, it is always worth it. We come back to that place where we're like, man, is it worth it? I am poor in spirit. Exactly. The kingdom of God is there for you. We understand that. And we know sometimes the right thing is going to kick up so much dust and dirt. And do we do the right thing? That following Jesus sometimes makes things really hard. Do I, do I renounce my faith so I can stay in school to be able to go to college? The loop takes you back to realize our own powerlessness and how he blesses us even there in the midst of it. It is why I think he does all this and then moves on to verse 11 where he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, when they blog about you, when they write notes to your coworkers about you. And he says, Evil against you falsely on my account. That's the word ego. It means me. The NIV says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me, because it's about him. Even the persecution is not about us. Even though we want to make it all about us, it's all about him. And then he goes to verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus takes them back to the beginning. The kingdom of God, the understanding of that, and then he makes it personal. He says, it is about me. When you follow me, difficult things will happen in your life. What do you do You know, when people are coming after you? You live in the kingdom of God. You understand the grace that has been given to you. I mean, what do you do when you, when you do the right thing and people don't like it? It is in those moments that Jesus says, I am with you more 
than ever. Now, let me give you the words that are here, okay? The first word is, this word is persecuted, okay? That's the word doiko, and that word means to prosecute or pursue. You ever have somebody who is unwilling to drop it? Just on and on and on, and, and sometimes it is something that you did that's wrong. Probably most of the time it is something you did that's wrong. So you go, hey, I'm sorry. Okay, you don't just like fight it. You go, okay, I'm sorry. And they go, yeah, but you're right. I'm really sorry. Okay, yeah, but you're right. I'm sorry. But it's like, that's every argument I've had with my spouse, right? <laughs> because I'm that guy. I'm the guy. My, my wife saw I got it. And I'm like, Da-da-da-da-da. she's like, heard you the first time. Da-da-da-da-da. You know, and th- that's me. Or, you know, maybe it's like, no, that's my parents or that, that's my kids. You know, whatever it is. We, we get that. The, the second word is the word revile. This is the word insult. It's the word onadizo. Onadizo. And it means to reproach or defame, to rail at, to assail with abusive words. Uh, when you email somebody, it's, you use all caps. That's a whole different ballgame, right? All caps. The word evil is the word poneros, poneros. Sometimes it's used as insult or revile. Sometimes it can even be used as persecute, but here it's, it's evil. This is labor or pain. It's the idea of an evil which corrupts others. At so much so that, that it corrupts everybody else around them. They turn everybody against you. And the word falsely is the word pseudomai. Pseudomai. It means to cheat or defraud. It's pseudo, like it's not the real thing. That's where it comes from. Falsify. You make things up. Uh, people make things up and they attribute them to you. Oh, you said these things, and I didn't say those things. Oh, yeah, you said these things. And I'm not trying to make this message about you and I working through all of our stuff, but it's lying not merely in the sense that the statements are false, but they actually invent improbable lies. It's a prejudice that leads people to think nothing too evil to be believed against the object of their malice. Let me give you a couple of examples, see if these hit home. Uh, Barack Obama, okay? Uh, if you're a conservative, there is nothing too evil for you to believe that man has done. No matter what people say, it's like, oh, yeah, I believe that. Oh, yeah, I believe that. You know, Barack Obama is made in the image of God. That means he has dignity, value, and worth. You go back eight years, you got Bush and people who are liberal, they're like, oh, that Bush, I don't know. No matter what people said about George Bush, oh, man, yeah, I believe he did that. He's an evil guy. That George, oh, he made not He flew the plane himself and jumped out the side before he hit the buildings. I mean, seriously, no matter what they say. You know, George Bush is made in the image and likeness of God. He has dignity, value, and worth. Uh, for Element, I'll tell you something really interesting. Is that we had this happen to us a few times now. Uh, one of the biggest ones we had is that someone went out and said that Element hates people with disabilities. That is further from the truth than you could ever be. I mean, if the, if the truth was like, we would, other side of the planet. Because we, what happened is we actually really tried to help th- this person. And it got to the point where we were like, hey, this is what we think the next step needs to be. They didn't like that. And all of a sudden, they, we got blogs and forums and Facebook posts all written about us. At one point, I'm talking to some lady in Canada, like not even in the United States anymore. Our church isn't that big, Okay. I'm talking to people in Canada about this because we got blogged about. It's it's this idea where they misunderstand your heart and they judge what you did and they have their own conclusions and it's not why you did what you did. And no matter what you say, you almost can't make it better. You see this in divorces all the time. It's like they refuse to believe anything good could actually be in that person where somebody has a filter through which they view someone else. No matter what you do, everything is seen through that filter. You know, you can't even say hi. You said hi to me. You can't say hi. That's manipulative. I just said hi. You know, what's going on with that? Sometimes when Jesus saves and redeems someone and they can't get out of their past because too too many people know them too well, I've known people who have changed churches because they just couldn't grow past how everybody else saw them in these churches, so they left. And sometimes when that happens, people just want to give up. It's like, I can't believe this. And what Jesus says is that's not when you give up. That's when you understand my blessing more than ever. 
that's when you really get it, because I am right there with you. He says, when you find yourself there, I am with you. Blessed are you there. When the blessing seems like the last thing that is yours, he meets you there more than ever. Jesus doesn't say, just climb out of it. Jesus doesn't show up with a ladder and go, here you go, climb out of your hole. He shows up with the cross, and he lifts you out and says, I died, I redeemed, I rose from the dead. You are invited into my kingdom. Be my child. That's what he does. That is the good news. This is why the gospel is good news. The Beatitudes begin with blessing, not law. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. I'll show you something really amazing about God's favor and God's grace. And this is very important when you understand the scriptures, that the scriptures always come back to the idea of grace. I hate it when people think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. I'm going to show you something about the Ten Commandments that a lot of people don't even realize. The Ten Commandments don't begin with commandments. The Ten Commandments, they begin and start with blessing. God reminding them of his redemption and what he has done. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before God starts the Ten Commandments, he reminds them of redemption. He reminds them of grace. It all starts with grace. Maybe you're in a place and you want to change the world, and you're just not. God speaks blessing and calling. Maybe you have shame in your life because you're supposed to be better, and you did that thing again. Well, God speaks blessing, forgiveness, and calling into your life. Maybe when you fail at something and you stumbled over yourself again, He speaks blessing and redemption and calling. When you fight with your spouse and you say, I'm never going to say that again, things got really heated, and you said it again. He offers redemption and calling and forgiveness and grace. Jesus starts where he does, with blessing and reminders that you are his child. And Jesus' church should be a place that reminds the world of the blessing and hope that comes from him. That we have a calling in our lives to something better than we have ever known. Guys, I'll tell you this. Look, you should be sharing your faith more. You should be engaging in the world's Christ representatives better. You should be treating your family, neighbors, and coworkers better. But... But Jesus announces blessing before anything else because God first loved us. In 1 John 4, 9, we love because he first loved us. That is blessing. That is blessing. Yeah, but I'm just so pathetic. Well, blessed are the pathetic. You know, that's, that's what it means. Well, I just can't get it right. Well, blessed are those who can't get it right. I have to be so much further along in my walk with God. Blessed are the should-be's. Blessed are the should be's. That's where Jesus starts. Because when you understand blessing, everything else makes much more sense. He says, okay, good. I'm blessing you here. Now let's go. Now let's grow. This is why Jesus starts the Beatitudes the way that, or the Sermon on Mount the way that he does. With these Beatitudes of blessing. You got it? Do you understand it? Great. Now let's talk about our lives. That's where he starts. He starts with blessing. And he ends with, rejoice and be glad for the reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, you are not alone. He ends this section about persecution and being defamed and lied about with rejoice and be glad. You ever see those uh, demotivational posters? Okay, I got some I'm going to show you. Because when things are bad, you feel like a failure, you just laugh about it. Okay, so I'll show you a couple. Here's my first one. I know I've got to get down. I'm like in the way. I've got a big head or something. Okay, here's another one. Here's another one. And my wife says you guys may you guys may not get this last one, but here it is. Jealousy better than facing the reasons why you're a social outcast. 
right? Right? When life is hard, when life is difficult, you rejoice, you laugh, you go with it. Rejoice is the word caro, it's where we get the word grace from. And it, and it means this idea of, of a gift, that when life is hard and life is difficult, you remember, life is a gift. The word be glad is the word agliaho, and it means to leap much, to leap much. When life is hard and life is difficult, when you feel persecuted, when failure is nipping at your heels, in those moments you leap much, you rejoice because you're not alone. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus has gone through so far in all the Beatitudes, he hasn't, he hasn't even given a command yet. And so what's the first command Jesus actually gives in the Sermon on the Mount? The, set, the thing he says you have to do, you know what it is? Rejoice. Leap much. That's the first thing he says. And that is why grace is good news. That's why it's good news. David Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a minister in England in the early 20th century. Before he went into the ministry, he was, wow, that's loud. Just like getting loud. Uh, Someone's going to follow that by in a Harley. You know, right by. Anyway, so he becomes a minister uh, in the early 20th century. Before that, he was a physician. And so he's trained in that. And before he, when he went to the ministry, a couple things happened in his life. The first thing was he took a 90% cut in his salary. The second thing that happened was all of his friends, all polite society, they turned their back on him and said, oh, and now he's going to be a religious nut job. You know, we've got to get away from that guy. And so a few years later, a reporter comes to him and he, and he asks him, was it worth it? So Lloyd-Jones looks at the reporter, and this is what he says. Let me get this straight with you. I gave up nothing and gained everything. He says, you don't understand the first thing about Christianity. Those things which I, which I lost used to be my peace. Now Christ is my peace. That is understanding the Beatitudes and blessing and life in the kingdom of God. You rejoice, you leap much, because the kingdom of God is open to you. Nobody can take that away. Nobody. This is why we, as a people, can rejoice so much in a God who has come to save us. And, and, I, and I know there will be things in your life that are, that are horrible, that you just can't handle. And yet, even in the midst of that, Jesus says, you can have joy. You may not be happy about it, but you can have a deep-seated joy, and you can leap much because He has called us His children. He has called us into His kingdom. We get to be the people of God, not because we're so good, but because he is so good and he offers this to us as a gift of grace. This is why we go to communion every single week, because communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we become this redeemed people who get to live the story of redemption. Your, your life is not over the day you believe in Jesus. It's just beginning. And a million years from now, it's still just beginning. It is all living how he calls us to live in the, in the essence of who we were always meant to be. It's really a beautiful thing. The band's going to come up, do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you guys uh, to take communion. Maybe spend, spend a little bit of time you know, talking to God about where you haven't been leaping much, where you've maybe made your life all about you and not about him, and so you've been maybe holding on to a bunch of things. Pray. God, where do I need to leap much in my life? Where do I need to stop looking at all these stressors and stuff in my life and simply look to you and learn how to have joy and leap more and more in my life? And then take communion. If you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe, again, you're in a, you're in a place that's really tough right now. And you want to learn how to pray about this and understand Christ better so you can begin to leap much. They would love to talk to you about Jesus. There's no better day to surrender your life to Jesus than right now, today, this moment. Right now. <laughs> nothing better. Nothing better. There's offering boxes on the side of all on the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving us will be part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every week. Again, we do not pass a plate. 
you know, pass the plate. It's simply a response to what he's done. And there's some food and stuff in the back. We invite you guys to grab something to eat and meet some other people. Maybe join a gospel community, invite some people out to lunch this week. It may be kind of awkward. If you don't know somebody, be like, hey, you want to go out to lunch? I don't know you. I'll pay. I'm there. You know? <laughs> And maybe you guys can even talk about some of these questions, you know, you know, rejoicing and leaping much. Is, is that how you understood? Do you, do you realize that even in the, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the very first uh, command we get is to rejoice, is to leap much. You know, have, do you, have you ever thought about it like that? I mean, these, these are great things to talk about. You know, understanding the great grace that our God has given to us because he simply is very good. Let's pray. Father, this morning. I ask that you would take us as your people and help us to understand what it means to simply leap much, to rejoice in you and all the goodness that you have bestowed upon us as your people. I ask that in places where we live that seem very, very hard, that we would understand you in the midst of those circumstances, that you are the God who never lets us go. And when we're out of control and life is spinning like crazy, you still hold us in your hands, that everything comes to us has been sifted through your good and holy and gracious hands. And so we can understand how to leap much, how to live lives of great grace and great blessing. Because our God is a God who came to save us and didn't bring us a ladder. He came in the person of Christ. You die on a cross, rise from the dead, and as a gift of grace, you save us. Have us live as a people in the surety, knowing that our God never lets us go. And so everybody we come into contact with, they would see us leaping much. Not in a crazy Napoleon Dynamite kind of way, but you know, in a way that our lives actually live and show the reality of who you are. Because we are a joy-filled people. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.